0: The Book of Luke, Chapter Nine. I want to turn there in the Word of God tonight, and I want to minister <clears throat> for a few moments on the conference theme, and we're asking God to help us uh, this evening. So I was uh, watching some, uh, saw some pictures online of some work that some road painters had done, and I got a couple of pictures to show you some of their handiwork that's one of them. There's a second one. That's for us who choose to cut our hair short. The next one. And then the next one, which is actually my favorite. No doubt there's all manner of reasons that could be given for why that's the job that they've done. But I want to put forward tonight that perhaps a lack of focus would have been the number one reason why their work was the way that it was. In the text we're about to read, Jesus has been able to create an atmosphere by His ministry... Whereby there are men who are volunteering their lives for the kingdom of God, and this one aspect of men volunteering their lives for the kingdom of God is one of the priorities, one of the purposes, and certainly one of the power of conference is that God can, from this gathering of people, God can begin to draw men out that will begin to volunteer their lives for the harvest field. But Jesus found, and I have no doubt there are pastors here that we have also found, uh, that not every volunteer is ready for the task. And Jesus takes the opportunity to clarify what it means to be a disciple. uh, And he speaks about the priority of putting our hand to the plow and not looking back. He's speaking about our focus. I want to preach on the focus life tonight from Luke chapter 9. want to use that as a launching pad and I believe that God can help set up the week with clarifying what we're going to focus our lives on Luke chapter 9 and verse 57 the Bible says "It happened as they journeyed on the road that someone asked him Lord I will follow you wherever you go Jesus said to him foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head we're professionals here, hallelujah road painters, I have I did that part alright we're in the text let me start the text again, verse 57, let's get right back to the beginning, now it happened as they journeyed on the road, that someone said to him Lord I will follow you wherever you go and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head then Jesus said to another, follow me But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. And Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others. And sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Uh, and he said, truly, the harvest the harvest truly is plenty, uh, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest uh, to send out laborers into his harvest. Uh, amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We're asking for your presence. Father, just like Jesus was able to gather a group of men, a company of volunteers, Uh, Lord God, I pray from this great gathering of people uh, that you would draw forth volunteers for your harvest field, Uh, men and women willing to put their hands to the plow, uh, and not looking back, we ask it in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, uh, amen, in about 1914, a British guy called Ernest Shackleton, He was putting together a crew to sail a ship from England all the way to Antarctica and then walk across Antarctica from north to south. And the story goes that he placed an ad in a London newspaper. The ad looked like this. The ad says men wanted for a hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful honor and recognition in case of success. And they say that back then when ships were made of wood and men were made of steel, uh, Shackleton was flooded by 5,000 British men uh, clamoring to take their chances on the icy southern continent. Uh, that's volunteering. Can you say amen? And a great challenge for every local church and so, certainly every local church pa- uh, pastor uh, is not just gathering a crowd of people, but we're looking to gain a company of men uh, that uh, no matter what God calls them to, uh, they're willing to put their hand to the plow uh, and not look back. Verse 57 says, uh, As they journeyed on the road, someone said to Jesus, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. Here's a volunteer. Here's somebody around the things of God that says, You know what? I want to do something for God. There's a couple of clarifying points. Number one, these disciples were with their pastor, Jesus Christ. They were with him. That means that if you're going to be a disciple tonight that wants to do something for God, you've got to get your life entwined with not just God, not just the things of God, but get your life entwined with your pastor's life. The Bible says that they were there with Jesus. They journeyed along the road together there was not something that was far off from them they were close enough to know what was in Jesus heart what he was looking for and they because that they volunteered and they gave their lives and I ask every disciple in the building tonight do you see what your pastor sees do you know your pastor's heart are you close enough to know what he sees on down the road, what he's looking for the church to be like, and in what areas you could volunteer? Are you close enough to know what your pastor thinks about the future for your church? Number two, the Bible says these disciples were transparent with their pastor. This conversation is a fairly straightforward, a back and forward. It was very clear cut There was no mystery. There was no hidden agendas. These men were able to say, This is what is on our heart. And their pastor said, This is what is on my heart. There's no hidden agendas. It's a transparent relationship. And the third thing is, these disciples were able to receive a rebuke from their pastor without becoming a basket case. Because the reason we have this text is, these three men said, I'm volunteering. I want to put my hand up. I'd like to do something for God. And when their pastor, Jesus Christ says, you know what? There's some obstacles uh, that are in your way. There are some things in your character, your perspective, the way you view life uh, that need to be fixed up before you can be a success. They didn't turn into a basket case. There was no need for the pastor to beat around the bush. No need for the pastor to be walking on eggshells around His disciples, no need to stroke their fragile snowflake egos. It's simply a very transparent, robust situation. Jesus presents an atmosphere where people are volunteering. It's transparent. They're with Him. They see what Jesus Christ wants. And when He clarifies some issues, it'll be obstacles. They simply sucked it up, took it on board, and got on with the job. The aim of the whole exercise was getting men to volunteer to put their hand to the plow. And our text gives us three radically different responses. You may find yourself here tonight. The first guy was very delighted with the chance to volunteer. He is idealistic. We could call him enthusiastic, but he wasn't realistic. This guy Jesus clearly saw had never really... Counted the cost of following Jesus Christ. This young man perhaps saw the glory, but hasn't thought through the story. And he volunteers, and Jesus says, Listen, the Son of Man, this is it's not an easy road. Being a volunteer in God's army, putting your hand to the plow, working in the fields, this is not an easy road. First Corinthians 4:12, Paul says, We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. Do you want a piece of that? Jesus said to this young man, I see you want to volunteer, but do you want a piece of that, that action? Are you willing to count the cost for following Jesus Christ, even if it involves some of that stuff? There's an ad for the Royal Marines, which is the UK's elite fighting force. Their slogan is, it's a state of mind. And on their advertising, they say 99.9% of men need not apply. They're saying, listen, let's be realistic here. You want to be one of the Marines, you want the glory, but do you know the story? Are you willing to pay the price and count the cost? The build a church planting center is going to take everything you've got plus what only God can supply. The first guy was delighted. The second guy was delayed. He was delighted that Jesus called him, but he had other priorities. Other things were taking up his time. I, I'd like to do something for God, but I've also got some other things on my plate. I may not be ready just yet. Jesus' response was only the spiritually dead would delay their complete and immediate dedication to God's call. Jesus says, listen, delayed obedience is disobedience. If God's called you, if God said it, if that's what God wants, if that's what God's will is, any kind of delay in that is nothing more than simply disobedience. Perhaps this young man had seen the fact that ministry... Takes place in the field. Perhaps he'd seen what it means to put your hand to the plow. Maybe he'd seen some farmers out there in the field with not one stitch of clothing that wasn't wet with the sweat of his labor. Maybe he saw the farmers with both his calloused hands, uh, you know, literally clamped, cramped to the handles of the plow as he was working there. Maybe he could see animal and man alike straining in the field and as he saw that he thought to himself did somebody say KFC (laughs) he saw what was required and said I've got some other priorities i got some other things I think I'd rather do and Jesus says you're spiritually dead if that's the way that you think. See ministry in discipleship is not a classroom he's out in the fields it's hand-to-hand stuff it's man an animal versus the elements it's a big deal it's not something you do in a coffee shop or behind your computer or some comfortable chair Jesus is out in the field and the third guy the bible says was divided and he's the guy we want to focus on tonight because once again he was a volunteer. He's counted the price, he's made a start, he's in the fields of ministry, but now he's reconsidering his commitment to the call of God, uh, amen. He began to count the price, going to count the cost, uh, and now he's saying, you know what, what Jesus Christ is asking is too high, he's lost focus in the Bible as he begins to look back to other options in his life, uh, and that may be where you find yourself tonight. In 1954, the Commonwealth Games were in Vancouver, Canada, and the signature race in that particular Commonwealth Games was the one-mile race, and this was going to pit uh, uh, Britain's uh, Roger Bannister against Australia's John Landy, and if you're an athletics kind of a person or you know about the race, you perhaps would have heard about this. Uh, They call it like a heavyweight boxing race of two runners. In May of that year, Roger Bannister had broken the one-minute mile, the impossible barrier. He'd run less than one minute for the mile. The very next month, John Landy of Australia, he broke that record. Amen. And now these two great one-mile runners are racing off in the Commonwealth Games, uh, and it's like the, the, the eyes of the world are on these two guys. And without uh, taking up too much time, John Landy led the race by quite a bit for most of the four laps. And if you look up the story online, you can do it in your own time. the, 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 The picture says he's coming around the very last bend. He's led the whole race. They're on world record time. And just as he's turning on the last bend to the home straight in the finish line, John Landy looks back over his left shoulder. To see how far behind Roger Bannister is. And as he turns around to the left, uh, Roger Bannister of England passes on the right, uh, runs for wins the race. Let me tell you that any time you're looking back, any time you're looking back to some other thing other than the call of God, uh, the same will happen to your life. I mean, I look second of all at the pudding. I want to unveil the plow. Did these two guys in the front row to come? You two? Give them a hand. Take the cover off and put it up here somewhere. Take the cover off and just put it up here somewhere. Just put it up there where people can see it. Just put that there. This is a plow. I know 90, 99% of the people in the room have never seen a plow. This is a plow. So when Jesus says, I want you to put your hand to the plow, this is what he's talking about. And because most of you would not know how it's used or what it's for, I've got a very brief video here to show you what a plow looks like and how it functions. That's not you. (laughs) Here comes you. Why don't you show that one more time? Just pause it right there, or there. It's a miracle. That's the farmer, and that's the plow. Jesus says there's something about ministry that he wants you to get in your head that that's what ministry looks like. And again, I'm not sure what you think about ministry. I'm not sure what your pastor's presenting to you, the story. I'm not sure what kind of a picture he portrays. But Jesus says, if you want ministry, you want to volunteer, you want to be a part of the kingdom of God, that's how you should look. Like a farmer with his hands to the plow in the field, plowing up straight furrows, you can plant some seed and you can see a harvest. Thank you very much for that, Wes. Amen. Verse 62, no one. Having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Another translation says, why do you keep looking back to your past and having second thoughts about following me? The reason why he says that is when you begin to look back, If you can imagine yourself, you're plowing away. Got your hands on the the plower and you begin to look back. A couple of things are going to happen. Number one is you're no longer able to run straight furrows, just like the first guys we showed here working on the roads. The moment you begin to lose, look back and begin to lose focus on what God has for your life, you're no longer in a straight line. Dare I say, you're no longer in an orthodox line. You're no longer going to be in what I would call the fellowship mainstream. You're no longer looking to build what is a fellowship church with fellowship DNA. You're looking back to other possibilities. It's not difficult to tell those people who've looked back and are no longer plowing in an orthodox line because they talk more about celebrity pastors in mega churches than fellowship pastors in leadership churches. You don't know who's looking back? What are you talking about? What what's your conversation about? Are you looking about leadership churches, people in successful fellowship DNA churches? Is that where your conversation? Is that where your focus is? Is that the kind of furrows that you're you're plowing, or you're looking to other things? Before you try and emulate out there, why don't you pursue some excellence in here, build a fellowship church? Number two, if you take your hands off the plow, you're no longer plowing to the proper depth. To plow the proper depth, you've got to put your weight, you've got to put your full weight. Anytime you're distracted, anytime you're looking back, you're no longer giving the ministry the proper weight. You're no longer giving it the proper importance. You'll end up doing ministry, but you're shallow, you're superficial, you're lightweight. You're know, One of the reasons why we contend for pastors to go from working in a secular job full-time to working in the ministry full-time is they can give it the proper weight this is not just about doing less work or i I, i'm not i'm no longer working in a secular field it means i can give the ministry the proper weight i can stay focused i can put my all my weight and all my effort into one job one task that's my hand to the plow in the ministry uh, and devote the proper weight you know pastor mitchell before he died, he said one of the top three risks of our fellowship worldwide is the hobby pastor. Where being in the field, he puts his check shirt on, got a little cork hat on, and he's out in the field. He's a little bit of field worker, but really his whole life's lived over here. And this is just simply a part-time thing, uh, the hobby pastor. The third thing about taking your eyes off the off the focus uh, is you're no longer focused on the real prize. I read an article about running. And in this article about running, they spoke about looking back. And When runners begin to look back, one of the reasons they look back is they're afraid that somebody's catching them. And they're no longer focused on winning the race, but avoiding losing the race, and they lose the enjoyment of running. Let me say, Pastor, your ministry is not a competition with somebody else. This is not about you and somebody else, it's about you and the elements, you and the will of God, you and God's plan for your life, it's not about you winning or losing in comparison with somebody else, it's not a competition with others, it's a covenant you made with God, that God says I want you to do thus and such and you say to God that's what I'm going to do and it really doesn't matter what your brother's doing left and right, you're simply running your field, you're running in your lane, you're running your race. Two Air France pilots were suspended recently for inappropriate behavior following an in-flight fist The pilot and the co-pilot of an Airbus 320 uh, had a disagreement turned physical mid-flight and had to be separated in the cockpit by some fellow crew. Now, thank God I'm not separate here. You know, I'm not having to do that in the ministry area. Sometimes, you know, sometimes, where well, we're more concerned about competition with somebody else than what it is that God's caused us to do. In Hebrews ten thirty eight. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And John six sixty six. Uh, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no longer with him. What a tragic thing it is when somebody gets saved and backslides. Can you say, men? you see them start the race. They put their hand to the plow. They're doing a the work for God. And then they backslide. Can I say, equally challenging is seeing men put their hand to the plow of ministry in the local church. So I want to do something for God. I'm putting my hand to the plow. I'm going to do a work for God. And then they turn back no longer doing what it is that God's called them to do. Uh, not a pause, not a break, not redirection where you're catching your breath and adjusting some things. Uh, Jesus says there are those that turn back from their hand of the plow and follow him no more. So Jesus assumed, as I bring this towards close tonight, uh, you've put your hand to the plow. Can you say amen? You're here tonight because you want to put your hand on the plow. Can you say amen? You want to do a work for God? There's a couple of things that you might have challenged you with your focus. I'll look at three of these before I bring this to a close tonight. Uh, number one, you could look back to previous failures and disappointments. If you're not careful as you're struggling in the present, you look back and say, this is just like <laughs> previous failures and previous disappointments. Uh, uh, it's no longer worth it. You're looking back to past failures and past disappointments. You know, you'd read the prophet Jeremiah he's a he's a he's a miserable cat I mean he he's a it'd be a tough guy to be your pastor I gotta tell you that for sure and Jeremiah at some point had King Josiah a little another whole story I won't belabor the point but Jeremiah had a disappointment somebody that he looked up to which was King Josiah made a very dumb decision and ended up losing his life And Jeremiah can't quite come to grips with why God will allow this. He's disappointed. He's upset. He's not sure what's going on. And the Bible says rather than lay with Jesus Christ and simply move forward in the lane God's called him to, he he basically builds a memorial to a past disappointment. In 2 Chronicles 35, verse 25, one of the most uh, unbelievable verses in all of the Bible, uh, the Bible says that the prophet Jeremiah, he composed funeral songs for Josiah, and to this day, choirs still sing these sad songs about his death. These songs of sorrow have become a tradition and are recorded in the book of Laments. Would you like to be in that church we would like that guy to be your pastor. We're going to sing another chorus. You know, another one bites the dust, you know. <laughs> another failed outreach. Another one, you know, just like the other guy, this guy's not going to serve. But imagine that guy being your pastor. But see, when you're looking back to past failures and past disappointments, just like Jeremiah, you can, you can hear it in people's voices. You can hear it in the what they speak about. There's an accent, there's a language, there's a perspective about people that are focusing on failure. I've just been in Norwich, England, where they speak the Queen's English and you can't understand a word of it. I had to do a Sunday school over there in Norwich and I tell you, it was tougher than doing it in Nigeria. I said, brother, what what language are you speaking? Could Could you give me that question again? I have no idea what you're saying. But I can tell where you come from. And there are some people we can tell where you come from, too. Disappointmentville. Failureville. You could be looking back to past failures and disappointments. Number two, you could be looking back to past successes and stress free days. When you begin to put your hand to the plow, do you get some tree stumps? Do you get some rocks? and you've left your cushy office job and some previous you know, lifestyle that you once enjoyed and now you've got your hand of the plow, you're not looking back at disappointment, you're looking back at success. And so, man, have I made the right choice in leaving God. Can I say it's a covenant you made with God? You've got no choice. Lot's wife. Lot made a bad decision. Went and lived his life down by Sodom, then he's in Sodom, then he's the mayor of Sodom. That's a bad choice. You leave your place to place your head and might look, might look good, but it might be Sodom. It's a little word for somebody there. And then God says, I'm gonna bring out, out of Sodom I'm going to judge Sodom. And the Bible says that here is Lot's wife. She is so in love with just nonsense. All that Sodom represents, that as God is bringing her out, a deliverance, a salvation, a whole new life ahead of her, the Bible says that she looked back, not at failure or disappointment, look back at success. The Bible says that God turned her into a pillar of salt. There's nothing more barren than salt in the soil and nothing more sure than somebody who's in the field trying to plow looking back to a more enjoyable life in their own mind in the past, uh, barrenness is going to be your future. The third thing is simply being distracted by the possibility of better options. Somewhere along the line, hell's going to make you an offer that you need to refuse. Somewhere along the line, hell's going to make you an offer you need to refuse. The Bible says that Jesus began His earthly ministry in the wilderness just him and the devil and the devil's making him an offer in fact he makes him three offers that Jesus had to refuse and if you're a, a man of God or a woman of God that's doing anything for God the devil has an offer for you he's got something that's going to take you off whatever it is that's God's best for your life if it happened to Jesus Christ it could happen to you too The first one was the flesh. It's simply a physical temptation. The temptation to take a break from the consecration of fasting and eat some bread. Do what feels good in the moment. I just need to indulge my flesh. It's a temptation. It's a distraction. As Pastor Tony said, I don't want to sacrifice in the present for some future good. I want some some blessing now it's a test. Then there was the world. This is an emotional temptation. Use your talents and abilities for worldly applause, for worldly success, as opposed to kingdom causes. And maybe you're facing that test tonight. The devil says, listen, you could use your talents. If you put your talents to work over here, you know, make lots of money. You had lots of worldly acclaim." This is the temptation for good Christian musicians. You can make a lot of money in the secular world. Don't sing for God. Don't sing for church. Don't sing for outreach. Use your talents for something outside of God's perfect will. It's the worldly test. Then, of course, there's the simple test of pride. It's the egotistical temptation. and That's where the devil whispers, you deserve better than this. You're a much better person. This fellowship doesn't appreciate you. You deserve better than what you've got. You deserve a better church. You deserve better people. You deserve more opportunities, more recognition. Pastor Walsh should put you on the platform and just say, This is a, this is a man of God right here. It's a temptation, it's a test. It's the devil making you an offer that you need to refuse. A guy called Reg Williams was 19 years of age. Reg became a missionary with the United Aborigines Mission, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to indigenous people in the Flinders Ranges. And they're about 600 kilometers north of Adelaide, out there kind of in the desert land. While he was there on missionary work, he met a stockman known as Dollar Mick. And Dollar Mick taught Reg how to work with leather. And through trial and error, these two made a leather boot from a single piece of leather. Their leather work became so popular that Reg decided to leave his missionary work, move back to Adelaide, set up a shop selling leather boots, saddles, and men's clothing. Reginald Murray Williams, we know him as R.M. Williams, never went back to the mission field. And he attributes his success in life to the night he met Dollar Mick, Every one of us has an appointment with Dolomik. They said, there's something you should be doing other than the sacrifice of the ministry. It's a test for your life. I close one final thought, then we'll pray. That's the praying. I went from that volunteering section to chapter 10 and verse 1 and 2, where the Bible says, after these things, those volunteers the delighted, the delayed, the disappointed, those volunteers, after these things, the, the Lord appointed 70 and sent them two by two before his face that into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Uh, and he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers, say laborers, laborers. the laborers of few, therefore pray, say pray. pray, the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest uh, I want to close tonight with three very specific prayer requests. I want to give you something to pray for this week. I've covered some ground. We've kind of lined ourselves up with the theme text. Uh, But I want to challenge you with three specific challenges. Number one, uh, I want to challenge pastors to pray specifically for men that will volunteer. God, would you give me not just a gathering of people, but a company of men. Not just a crowd, but a company of men that'll volunteer. You won't have that unless you pray. Jesus says you've got to pray that God would give you volunteers for the harvest field. I want to challenge every single pastor to pray for those kinds of men. As I was coming into conference, I had a very specific prayer request God, give me a few good men, not lots, not greedy. God, give me a few good men that we can launch out into the harvest field just like Jesus says. I believe there are many followers. There are a number of disciples, but a few good men. And pastor, you should be praying, God, give me a few good men. When Ernest Shackleton ran the ad that we showed before, 5,000 men showed up and said, we want to volunteer. 27 were chosen. Those 27 men became heroes for their generation we we still tell their story to this day of those men the shackletons endurance you're to read the book yourself Uh, 27 men 27 good men lots of volunteers god give us a few good men number two pastors you ought to be praying for yourself god that you have a a lane for me to run in you have a, a field for me to plow in and all the various things that I'm going to be facing, as uh, pastors just spoken about from the text, uh, God, I, I, God help me to stay true to, to my calling, my covenant with God. Not in competition, not distracted, not looking back. Pastors, you'll be praying for yourself. Matthew twenty six thirty nine. Then Jesus walked a short distance away, overcome with grief. He threw himself face down on the ground and he prayed. It says, my father, if there's any way you can deliver me from this suffering, please take it from me. Yeah, what I want is not important. That's a, that's a tremendous line. What I want is not important, for I only desire to fulfill your plan for me uh, that an angel from heaven appeared to strengthen him. Pastor, when you pray for yourself, God, would you strengthen my resolve? Would you straighten up my lane? Would you stop me from being distracted? Then and only then will the angel come and strengthen you. And if Jesus Christ had to pray for His own ministry, what makes us think we're any better? That somehow we can accomplish what God's called us to do without praying. And number three, I want to challenge every person in the building to be praying for your pastor. <clears throat> this is this is. The cut and thrust of ministry. I'm, pre- I'm preaching about tonight. I'm challenging pastors and disciples. Uh, I challenge every congregation pray for your pastor, man. I can tell you, I've been in the ministry for quite a long time. I know some of the, you know, the things that the past- pastors fa- face. So pray for your pastor. Pray that God's going to bless him. Pray that God would give him a few good men. Pray that you'd be one of those good men. Pray for your pastor. Pray that God would help him. Pray that God would bless him. God, let me be close enough to my pastor to know what his vision is, that I could support his vision. Pray that God's going to help him to pay. You can pay him a decent salary. Allow him to drive a decent car, live in a decent house. Be a need to You be praying for your pastor. I close King George VI of England. He was the king of England from 1936 to 1952. He was the king of England in the run-up to World War II and through World War II. Tough assignment, being the spiritual head in one sense of the entire nation in the middle of a war. And when war broke out, one of the things the Germans desired to do was to bomb Buckingham Palace. And they knew that if they could get the king to leave his post, if they could get the king to abandon the people... If they could get the king to just simply run away for a better opportunity or a safer place. Germany knew that the English people would lose heart. And so they bombed the b- 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 out of Buckingham Palace. And King George VI had a choice. Could have looked around, could have looked back. Could have thought about being any other place than Buckingham Palace. He's the king and do what he wants to do. History tells us that he stayed. There's a picture of him. Him and his lovely wife. That's them circled. Winston Churchill to their right. That's their home. That's their ministry. They said, we don't care what Germany does. They bombed Buckingham Palace nine times. Every day got up dressed in full regalia, went out with his wife and presented themselves to the people, we will not take our hand from the plow. We know that Winston Churchill was the hero of World War II. Some say the king had a significant part to play because he could have been anywhere else in the world during that time, but he said, I'm going to stay with my hand to the plow. My people need me. They need to see me victorious They need to see me fearless. They need to see me steadfast in the task that they can rally behind me. Uh, We know the story. England uh, won the war. uh, And we're here today speaking English because of that. Amen. I'm glad the king stayed by the plow. This bow is going to close in a word of prayer.
1: Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH sermon podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays,